Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Welcome to 2020 Politics War Room with James Carville in New Orleans. I'm Al Hunt here in Washington at American University, where we're proud partners with the Sign Institute. We have so much to talk about today as the Democratic presidential nomination appears to maybe be heading to a conclusion very soon. We also have a really great guest. But let me first ask you to please subscribe to 2020 Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, James, uh, with yesterday's results, I think this presidential nominating race for the Democrats is, is virtually over. Something unforeseen, I suppose, could happen in the next six months. We can't see now. But it's Biden v. Trump, but let's get ready to rumble. That was a landslide win for Joe Biden yesterday. Big margins, South, Midwest, even out West. Delegate lead is significant. But, you know, it's going to get even bigger next week if Bernie should decide to stay in. 577 delegates in Florida, Ohio, Illinois, Arizona, and Joe is favored in all of them and a massive win in Florida. I think the only question is now is uh, if and when Bernie gets out. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's 99 to 1 on 538 because they just don't do 100 to nothing, right? It doesn't, anything is, it, you know, 99 to 1, you're going to get struck by a meter and die. So, if, I mean, it's decided. In, 99, in the senior, to one, 99, 99 to 1 for Bernie to win. Yeah, but, but 99 to 1 for him to get the nomination against, all right? It, it, what, to what avail? The Democratic voters have spoken loudly, clearly. They've spoken from every region. It's unmistakable. They want to get on to November. And it, there, there's nothing to accomplish here. Nothing. And I, and I see where Senator Sanders is in Vermont, and I'm, I'm sure that he's meeting and considering his options. But, you know, I just say, if, if you, I think he is, and it's been pointed out, he is a small-D Democrat. And if you're a small-D Democrat, you got to say, this is the will of the people. And I, I respect that. And we got to move on. Well, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And let's you know, let's let's us move on now. Let's talk about six and a half months of Biden v. Trump. I mean, what are the challenges for Joe Biden right now? This Trump attack is going to be vicious, James. I mean, they're already you know coming back. They're going to have hearings on the Hill about the Hunter Biden controversy. Uh, and, and Trump has suggested that Biden is senile. It's going to be vicious. So what are what are Joe's challenges now? First of all, part of his challenge is, is to understand that this country is ready for a change. So therefore, his campaign slogan should be Joe Biden, because it's time for a change. And just leave it at that. Now, Trump is, you know, the thing about Biden is he's so well known and people know who he is. And yes, Trump is going to come after him every which kind of way you can do it. The campaign is totally caught off guard by this, as, as anyone would beat it, and they're just getting geared up. And they need to stop running in these primaries and start building a campaign here for the general election. And 
that's going to take some time. And the sooner they can turn turn to that effort, the, the better off it's going to be. But the, yes, they're, they're going to get the Trump people are going to come by like crazy. They're going to hunt up Biden. They're going to call him all kind of names. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But, you know, remember, the other side gets to play. And, you know, Biden can't, you know, they can be smart about how to go back at Trump. And But but the country does not want to reelect Trump. That is just as clear as, as you can imagine it. And generally, when people don't want to do something, they they look for an excuse to do that, which they don't want to do. And, it, it, you know, Trump's just, he, he's caged. They're all scared, as they should be. This thing is going very poorly for them. And there's a real good chance that he's just going to lash back so hard and so panic himself that he, he actually hurts himself beyond the 42% he's got now. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I think, I do think on, on the Hunter Biden, and let's just, you know, in, in, in summary, it's very, this is very easy to summarize. Hunter Biden worked for a Ukrainian energy uh, company. He was on the board. He had no qualifications whatsoever. If his, if his name had been Hunter Smith, he never would have had that job. It was wrong. It should have been stopped. Joe Biden not only did not do anything wrong, he did everything right. These are two separate issues. Uh, he went and he he really cracked, you know, forced the Ukrainians to crack down on corruption, got rid of a bad prosecutor. Uh, and uh, I don't know, family reasons, his son, the golden boy, Bo, was dying. But but they'll they'll come after him. They'll have hearings in the Hill. There'll be fake documents. And I think a key and I remember going to a dinner once with Pete Buttigieg uh, and he was asked how he would handle Trump. And he said, sometimes you just have to treat him as the crazy uncle in the closet. Uh, and I think uh, Joe needs needs a little bit of discipline in this. He doesn't have to lash back at every one of Trump's crazy vitriolic attacks. Yeah, I, I think so. And, uh, you know, the campaign has got to they need to get some good surrogates and train them and get them out there. Uh, and it, 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 look, if you saw what happened here is, is something so remarkable in American politics. So this race is like literally stuck in neutral. And it's going and Bernie's doing well and Mayor Pete did well in Iowa and, you know, going on and in Nevada. Elizabeth had her had, time. Had her time. And all of a sudden, you have South Carolina. And the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. And he went South Carolina by a huge margin. And then 72 hours later, he this blows the hinges off of the Virginia Democratic primary, in particular Northern Virginia. Joe Biden didn't have a single volunteer, not a bumper sticker, not a yard sign, not a phone call, not a anything. Once these suburban women saw that that's who people were voting for, they came and came and came. And there's a very good Tim Alberta piece in Politico magazine about Livingston County, Michigan, which is a, a fluent and hard, hardcore Republican county, kind of between Detroit and Ann Arbor and Lansing. They had an increase in turnout of 56%. People, if Biden can just stay focused and, and, and just run an OK campaign, the Democrats are going to win everything. Everything. Yeah, it's a national. I mean, he Joe Biden can run a national campaign, and he's not going to win Alabama. But Doug Jones, the senator down there, won't have to run away from him. And conversely, I'll give you ten bucks, James, every time that Susan Collins appears with Donald Trump. Uh, when it comes to a national campaign, edge Democrats. I I, I wouldn't. I'd only put it seventy five percent that she's going to run. She has. She, they, she's going to lose. 
I, I mean, you can just feel this thing coming, man. It, it, it. Not, you know, you can say, well, one poll has it fifty-two to forty-six. Or something. That doesn't matter. You, you can just, you can feel it coming in in eighty-one. I mean, in eight. I mean, in eighty. You can feel it coming in eight. You can feel it coming in eight, and you feel it coming now. You know, I, I guess you, after the convention, you can feel it coming in ninety-two. But th- this is this is a big wave forming out there, and you know, the only thing that was going to stop it is if the we did something stupid in our nominating process, and we did not do that. And I think that, you know, it's just look at the turnout. Look at what's happening. And these women, it's, it's just it's staggering. I mean, we saw it in, in New Hampshire. We saw it in South Carolina. We saw it in Virginia. We're seeing it in Michigan. I mean, come on, guys. He's doing well. He, he's doing well across the board with the exception of young voters. Uh, and uh, they usually uh, they are they have turnout problems anyway. But he is winning uh, African Americans by huge margins. I, I, Bernie Sanders isn't even going to get the fifteen percent threshold in Mississippi, uh, and he he is combining that with great showings in the suburbs, which were what made nine, uh, May two thousand eighteen uh, the big Democratic year that it was. I mean, everything is there for Joe Biden. It is, and and you know. Honestly, this is a kind of thing where when you make pancakes, you don't overbeat the batter. All right? You just get as soon as everything gets wet, you stop. All right? I'll trust yeah, you trust on that. On that. that that's, a, that's the rule of making pancakes. They don't need to overbeat the batter. All right? The, the, this is a situation where don't just stand there, do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious here, but... Less is more here, guys. Less is more. Less on the schedule, you know, less big kind of events and that kind of stuff. And, you know, just be Joe Biden, time for a change guy, you know. And, and people are, are, are just, they're locked and loaded, man. They're ready to come out and vote. I promise you. Yeah, and I think one uh, one advantage that he will have now, which wasn't apparent a while back, was uh, when he when he campaigns a lot, when he has a hectic schedule, he, he sometimes makes makes mistakes. I guess a lot of people do. It's not just unique to Joe Biden. But one thing he's not going to have to do uh, in the next couple of months is all of that fundraising that people thought he was going to have to. He's going to have to do some. But uh, but 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 Mike Mike Bloomberg is going to pour a uh, billion dollars in this campaign. Joe will raise a lot now that he's a winner, but that Trump money advantage has just been neutralized, and 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 the and the technology advantage may be mostly neutralized, and and that'll make a. We we got to do a show on that. We we got to get someone. Yeah, you knows. know why I worry about that, James. Um, I worry about that. I think the, the you know the software, the technology, the things they have. I think what I understand, what Bloomberg has, is is as good as what. Uh, Trump has. The advantage that Trump has is that on places like Facebook, what really attracts clicks, you know, viewers, whatever, is the incendiary stuff, the really angry, mean, often racist stuff. Uh, and he does that. And uh, I don't know how you how you counter that. And Facebook isn't willing to take down stuff that's clearly false. So he does have that advantage. That's a that's a challenge. But I think money wise and and and, you know, as far as, you know, identifying voters, I think the Democrats will be playing an even playing field. I hope so. I hope so. And I, I, I know money wise, we will be an even playing field. And, 
you know, I, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of pressure on, on the Republicans between Biden. I mean, when they started, you know, six weeks ago, they were looking really good. And now, you know, between Biden emerging as as a dominant front runner. OK, I mean, a do, I mean, a really dominant front runner. And unfortunately, the, this virus, they're, they're, they're been good reason to be concerned. I mean, and, and if you're a Democrat, you, you don't kid yourself. You, you, you got to, we can do it, but you, you, you got to lose this one. <laughs> you got to try. You, yeah. It's going to take some effort. Oh, oh yeah. No question. I mean, it's just amazing that if you look back five weeks ago, the, I mean, Republicans were cocky. Uh, the Democrats were going to have a long protracted battle. Bertie might be the nominee. The economy is humming. Trump has been, uh, uh, cleared, if you will, or at least he was not cleared, but he was not uh, found guilty of him uh, as he should have been uh, for an impeachable offense. And they were just riding high. Wow. Six weeks. Now, James, here's my caveat. Here's what scares me a little bit. Uh, static analysis has been wrong for the last year. I, I'm and, not uh, engaged. So, if you, you've noticed, I haven't engaged much of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I, I, I think things look awfully good uh, for the other side today. Uh, but, but, but I, you know, there's still a little bit of a worry there. There should be. I, I was, there, there, there's, you know, more than a little bit of worry. I just think that. The Biden campaign needs to be smart. They they need to limit the events. It's okay, you know that the, the the enthusiasm is out there. You don't have to, you know, it, it just that they can raise some money. But you know, with this virus thing coming up, they, there's not much they're going to be able to do anyways. Which is, <laughs> I mean, you don't want, you know, they've really got to take careful that he does not get sick. Yeah, no, it really is a big issue, and he ought to be, you know, very careful. And uh, <laughs> when Trump calls him senile, which he really has, and he says, you know, he forgets names and places, my God, Trump forgets 10 times more, except, you know, a hundredfold more he lies about him. So it's not exactly his strong point. Right. They, they got a tape of a hundred things of Trump slurring words and saying he's in the wrong place and not knowing what he's talking about. I mean, like, I think that, the more that Biden, you know, let's see if you know, the question is, do you engage that or do you say this is just the same thing you've been seeing for four years in American politics? I, I, I'm really running, you know, because I think we can do better than this. I really do. Yeah, it goes back to the point you made a few minutes ago. Surrogates ought to take on that responsibility. And uh, he, he ought to channel a little bit about what Pete Buttigieg says, treat him as the crazy uncle in the closet, because uh, that's what he is. Um, what what they don't have that I know of is they don't have like a person that goes out and represents them or, you know, a team of people that go James, out. James, let me I know a little bit about this. They had people who did this, but but that campaign, Chris Dodd and John Kerry and others, that campaign was so disorganized back in in Iowa and in New Hampshire. You didn't know about them. Uh, I mean, at one point, one of them showed up. One of them showed up in Iowa and said, where should I go? <laughs> Biden people said beats us, uh, but but that's changed. Yeah, I, I guess it's changing it, it but it, it it just goes to show you what a historic time that the Democratic Party's in. And and I can assure you of this. And I, 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 the the one single thing that I have been consistently right about since it started is they just want to win. I mean, everything came down to. 
you know, all, all got ability and, and, you know, the Medicare for all. It, it, it was some Democrats didn't like Medicare for all, but what they thought was that was a losing issue, that that would hurt you in a general election. As soon as that got that, the whole thing was mildewed. You couldn't touch it. It was gone forever. And, and you know, you, you hear this so much anecdotally is that, well, I might have, I don't you know, vote for women, but I don't know if other women are going to vote for a woman or whatever. The, the people were so scared about anything that touched on beating Trump that just drove the entire campaign. It didn't matter how many position papers you put out. I don't think Biden had a position paper on anything. It didn't matter how many volunteers you had. It didn't even matter how many television spots you had. Once people had the sense that, hey, this person can get votes, and that's it. I'm out of here. Boom. Stunning. No question. And it was, I mean, decades from now, maybe a century from now, uh, political scientists and history will be writing about those four days. Unfortunately, it was both February and uh, March. But those four days, uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, South Carolina through Super Tuesday, were, we've never seen anything like it no. in American politics before. And, and, and for me, who's made my living and, you know, and known to be a campaign guy, the campaign didn't matter here. <laughs> right, it didn't, right. It literally didn't matter. <laughs> well, let me just say, I think Jim Clyburn deserves all the credit in the world. It was Jim Clyburn. I think Joe Biden deserves credit. But I'll tell you who deserves the lion's share of the credit for those four days. Donald J. Trump. This was, this was, you know, let's find a way to get rid of him. Oh, and Joe is the horse. Yeah, he just, they just, man, they didn't care. It was, a, you know, the Clyburn thing was just, he was like the, the lamplighter, you know, we were all in the, you know, in the wilderness, not knowing where to go. And boy, somebody lit the lamp and everybody said, whoop, let's go. And I mean, I think that that was some of, you know, Clyburn's moral authority in, in South Carolina. Uh, and, you know, he had built up relationships, you know, for his entire life. And the, the decency in which he, he endorsed Biden you know, I, who, who would have ever thought in politics that suburban women in Virginia would, would take their cue from African-American voters in South Carolina? But that has happened, ladies and gentlemen. We are, we are living in, we are living history right now. History I never thought I'd see. Yeah, no, I agree. And I also think, look, uh, there's some, uh, some difficult people uh, in the Sanders uh, wing, uh, the Bernie bros, uh, but I think the I think whatever bitterness existed in this is going to really not be that difficult to pay for. Some of them will walk walk because that's what they are. But I I think there have been some very divisive. I actually think this is less divisive uh, in the end, or will be by the time you get to the Milwaukee convention uh, than it was uh, four years ago. So Ed Kilgore, who's a really smart guy, we should have him on a show at some point, pointed out that right now Bernie. And Joe Biden are more popular among Democrats than Donald Trump was among Republicans at a comparable time in 2016. Right? We're not, we're, the, the party is not very divided. Right? It's really not. They, they, the party kind of likes both. And, you know, if they just handle this with minimal political skill, uh, it might entail Biden going to Vermont. Right? And saying, you know, we, we're, we're together, it's, it, I, it, there's a good chance if, if everybody acts, you know, in, in, in a 
wait at we want to win that we can come out of this thing not not just okay but but pretty doggone good because the Democrats are, are are pretty united and I don't think the problem that Burns gonna have going on is the party wants to unite they're not interested anymore it's just not the same world and he's got to make a, you know he's got to figure the, the world he, if he goes back on a campaign trail there's not gonna be the world that he came off of and I think he understands that yeah James I hate to even ask this question but it's the favorite of all pundits and even some politicos now and a lot of trees will unnecessarily be cut down and a lot of Hot air wasted uh, on broadcast broadcast uh, venues uh, about who's Joe going to pick as his running mate. I don't think any presidential candidate in my memory has had any idea in March who they are going to pick. I, I buy into the conventional wisdom. I think he's likely to pick a woman. But other than that, I think every it's fun speculation. It really is and makes for great cocktail chatter. But, you know, nobody knows. No, I know. I, I, I do think that he, he's going to pick a woman. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and, and just because I, I don't know that the average female voter really cares. They just want to get Trump out of there. All right. But I, I, I don't know that, but it's just a, it, we should, I mean, the, the, you know, what the party is about. And uh, it, it just, it, without, if you don't, it'll be nothing but stories about, you know, it's all, all, all men. So I, I presumably he will. But, you know, that they, they, there's a lot. I mean, they how they handle this process, how they drag it out, how they make the announcement. You know, that 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 the good thing about that, that occupies a lot of space, a lot of commentary, a lot of ink, a lot of everything where you're not making gaffes. You're not out, you know, getting confused where you are. You, you know, studying and interviewing candidates or the vice president and everything. Your campaign is leaking and, you know, you creating a narrative around this yeah and having the luxury of time is valuable uh you know trying to do it uh right uh, right as you're at wherever that convention site is is usually uh produced a disaster uh witness sarah palin um uh, and uh, so I, I i you know i you're right it'll it'll be it'll be fun to chatter about but uh it won't it won't uh it'll it'll happen James, as I said, we are privileged to have with us John Barry, a great journalist, author. I remember his terrific book on Jim Wright and Newt Gingrich. I guess that was 30 years ago. God, am I old. Uh, but we're going to talk today about his classic influenza pandemic of 1918 that killed 50 million people. John, uh, first of all, it's good to have you on. Thank you. Well, uh, happy to be here. A lot better than the alternative, as they say, all, all three of us. <laughs> oh, well, is that true? John, one of the mistakes that was made back in 1918 and 19 by both, uh, you know, American leaders and European leaders was not leveling with the people, trying to underplay this this terrible threat. Do you fear we're seeing a rerun of that today with Trump and coronavirus? Well, uh, clearly, uh, you do have to distinguish between the White House and the rest of the administration, though. Uh, you know, CDC tries to tell the truth corrects the president. Tony Fauci tries to tell the truth. Connect corrects the president. And, you know, even Pence uh, doesn't exactly correct the president. But when he makes a statement, it's, you know, reasonably accurate. So it's just Trump and Hannity and, you know, the, you know, Rush. And, and the reality is that's, that's, it's not just 
bad politics because it's going to come back and bite them. All of those is undermine their credibility, but it actually makes it more dangerous for everybody. Well, we'll talk about that. I mean, talk about the the, the analogy to nineteen eighteen. What what was done wrong then, and and how did it uh, inflame, exacerbate, and make the uh, the the influenza worse? Well, we were of course at war, and uh, Wilson had one single focus, and that was winning the war and mobilizing the entire country, getting the entire country totally focused. Uh, so there was a context there that the influenza pandemic fell into. And the context was that you keep morale up, you, you, you know, only tell good news, uh, you attack any negative thoughts. So when the pandemic came along, national public health leaders were saying it was referred to as Spanish influenza, even though it didn't start in Spain. Uh, but it was, uh, they said this is ordinary influenza by another name. Uh, the Surgeon General of the U.S. says you have nothing to fear if, if ordinary precautions are taken. And those precautions included things like opening your bowels regularly. Uh, at the same time, this disease was lethal, considerably more lethal than coronavirus. Uh, and in, it could cause horrific symptoms. You know, people could die in less than 24 hours. Uh, some some people were bleeding not only from their nose and mouth, but from their eyes and ears. Uh, in the book, I quote a letter from a doctor to a colleague saying that people were turning so dark blue from lack of oxygen that he had difficulty distinguishing uh, Caucasian troops from African-American troops. That, of course, was spreading rumors of, you know, the Black Death. And at the same time, uh, the government is, is telling you, and, and local officials were echoing uh, the national le leaders on this. Uh, the Chicago Health Commissioner, for example, said nothing was done to interfere with the morale of the community. So. People are hearing this stuff when they know perfectly well it's not ordinary influenza by another name. In fact, it was so bad the uh, at one point when Philadelphia finally banned all public gatherings, including church services, closed saloons and theaters and, and so forth, uh, one of the newspapers even said, this is not a public health measure. There is no cause for alarm. I mean, how stupid did they think people were? So people you know, very quickly lost all trust in authority and they began to lose trust in each other. Uh, and society began to fray. Uh, there were reports of, uh, people starving to death because everyone, no, their neighbors, even, even family members wouldn't bring them food. Uh, it got so bad that a sober, serious scientist, not given to overstatement, who had been dean of the University of Michigan Medical School before the war and was head of the Army's Communicable Disease Division during the war, said if the rate of acceleration continues a few more weeks, civilization could easily disappear from the face of the earth. That's how bad it got. Uh, you know, we're not at that level here, but you know, when you have something dangerous and you're being lied to, it's extremely alienating and isolating. You don't know where to turn. 
uh, becomes every person for himself or herself. Boy, it sure does. James? Yeah, so, uh, John, let's just fantasize it, but Vice President Pence calls you, and he says, John, look, I, I, as, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm having a difficult time here, but, you know, I, I'm convinced. What are the three things I need to do immediately? What would you tell him? Well, I would say, you know, just get out front and say, look, this thing is coming. Whether it's in your community right now or not, it's going to get there. Uh, there are, you know, and tell people what to expect and you tell them what the government is going to do about it. You tell them what strategies are in place and why they're in place. You basically drown them in factual information. So they have, they face reality. People can deal with the truth. I think, you know, just telling someone to wash their hands is not adequate. You know, for example, I mean, they say, okay, at least 20 seconds. I mean, how many people actually wash their hands for 20 seconds? And if they do it the firm once, are they going to do it next week? Um, in 2009, at the height of fear in Mexico City, when swine flu first surfaced, uh, the government urged people to wear masks on public transit and gave them out for free. Now, whether the masks do any good or not is a different issue, but the point is they were, they were given for free and recommended highly, more than just recommended. So usage peaked at 65%. And 10 days after that, it was down to 10%. So it's not just a question of doing something. It's a question of doing something the right way every time, every day for a period of weeks. I mean, that's another part of the story that, you know, we may or may not have to close all sorts of places, but you have to make it clear that these interventions have to be sustained. I mean, in SARS, for example, Many healthcare workers died. It is hypothesized a lot of them died because they didn't take off their protective equipment properly. You know, there's a procedure to follow, and it has to be followed precisely every time. Not most of the time, every time. It's it's just a, it's a question of discipline, and these kinds of messages are not really being communicated. Uh, the expectations they need to. Uh, need to be set properly. Uh, you need to advise local public health leaders and state public health leaders what the triggers are to take particular actions. Uh, school closings is a lot more thought has to go into that, whether or not you do or do not want to close schools. Uh, right now, I haven't enough data to figure out whether I personally would recommend them. Uh, they do put a stress on the community, but when you close them for for a couple of weeks, what happens when you bring them back and somebody else has uh, a case, which will happen? Are you going to close them again for two weeks? Are you going to keep them closed for a month? Uh, there's there's very little data yet on if in, in influenza in a serious influenza pandemic, definitely you would close schools because it is clear that children spread influenza. They're generally, you know, could be super spreaders. Uh, 
it's not at all clear that that's the case here. Now, out of an abundance of caution, you might do that, but it'd be nice to have a lot more data before you recommend school closings in this disease. It's a different disease. Um, but there are all sorts of things. And again, you know, guidance for the local leadership uh, as to timing. So, I mean, those are two of the keys, timing and sustained compliance with whatever is recommended. I mean, that earlier I had said that, uh, you know, Trump and Limbaugh and Hannity and so forth were dangerous. And the reason was uh, a Trump supporter who listens to them is much less likely to comply with any guidance coming out of Tony Fauci, say, than, than would a Democrat because the Trump supporter has been told this is all a sham. And that is not only dangerous to that individual, but it's dangerous to the community at large. So there are, there are a couple of goals we need to set. You know, for one thing, the most interesting and I think the most important number coming out of China, whatever the actual uh, case fatality rate is, we know that in Wuhan, it's 5.8%. Outside in the rest of the country, it's 0.7%. And the reason isn't because the medical care, the quality of the care is any different. The reason is Wuhan is overwhelmed. There were no intensive care unit beds uh, available. And so people, people died. You know, we need to stretch the pandemic out, and it is a pandemic, uh, so that there will be beds available for people in intensive care units. You know, we need an investment of dollars to get invest more uh, intensive care unit beds. So on a short-term basis, that may be very difficult, may not be even possible. Uh, but there are a lot of things that can be done. Well, yeah, of course, of course, yes. But one of the things that they were able to, at least according to the figures they have, it's in the press, South Korea and China were able to, the infection rates are going down, Right. Can we do anything as draconian as uh, their system? Is the South Korean system just different than ours? Or are there, there things under our system we can do that they, at least they're stopping the spread of this thing? Well, yeah. I don't think a free society would tolerate what's going on there. And in, in this case, the police state in China, uh, I mean, Singapore is not a uh, police state, but they've done an amazing job controlling it. Hong Kong has done well. I don't think you're going to get the kind of compliance and enforcement you get in the United States. I mean, Italy initially quarantined, uh, you know, a, a few towns, but that quarantine was a sieve. Uh, they've now, you know, taken much more aggressive action over a much wider area, obviously. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith that that is going to be any more complete. Maybe it will be. Uh, in the United States, we are so far behind because of the testing fiasco. I mean, I, I know preparedness people I've talked to since this first surfaced, uh, you know, were, had been saying for weeks, you know, that we should be testing much more widely. Uh, and, you know, we weren't doing it and now, uh, the disease is seeded through in many parts of the country. Uh, you know, down here in Louisiana, we just now have, yesterday was supposedly our first case. Now there are six. Uh, and, you know, there are more out there probably. 
we can slow it down with isolation. I don't know that in our society with, you know, different, you know, 50 different state public health agencies without real authority from the federal government uh, on them, I don't know that we'll be able to accomplish what they've accomplished in China. Uh, it would be great if we could, but I'm not optimistic. Uh, even if we do, and you, certainly this virus is circulating in areas of the world that basically have zero public health infrastructure or very weak, you know, Africa and so forth. Uh, Indonesia, it's probably all over Indonesia, even though there aren't a heck of a lot of cases reported, but they had direct flights from Wuhan. Uh, so this virus is eventually going to reinfect even, you know, China's very successful, let's say, let's say they, they, they do stamp it out. And let's say it does not surge back when they go back to work, which is very possible. Even the Chinese have been uh, reasonably honest about that possibility. Uh, you know, they, they are likely to be reinfected from the rest of the world eventually, as would the West be. So this virus is here to stay. Buying time is crucial because the more time you do, the longer you delay it, the closer we are to a vaccine or to drugs. I mean, that's one thing that is very promising here is there do seem to be uh, some drugs that may work against us. Not the case in influenza. John, let me pick up on, I, I think your point is a very good one. We don't have a Chinese system. It's harder for us to do some of the things that they did, just mandatory shutdowns of people. But, you know, if you had national leadership, even with our, our federalist system, I mean, I don't know if it's a good idea to close down sporting events or not, but I do know the NIH has recommended against anyone going to any event that involves more than 50 people for right now. Well, I mean, those sporting events contain a lot more than 50 people, and more right. than a few of them are... Well, in 1919, they canceled the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, well, and I was going to say, more than a few of them are geezers like us uh, who are most susceptible. If yeah. you had a president who said, we ought to, I'm sorry, I love games, but this is a time now where you're not going to do that. Uh, that would make a difference. Well, I agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, totally. And it would be great if he stood there with uh, Nancy Pelosi and made statements like that. He, he won't talk to her. He won't talk to her, John, about this because he's mad at her, they said. <laughs> I mean, you know, I said earlier that Wilson had one single focus, and that was winning the war. As you know, unfortunately, this president seems to have one single focus, and that's winning re-election, period. Uh, the fact is that what he is doing now is counterproductive, even in his own political self-interest. Uh, I'm astounded that he continues to do it, again, from the standpoint of his own political self-interest. Uh, even Trump supporters have to recognize, as the cases in the United States mount, as, you know, Merkel says two-thirds of Germans might get infected, you know, that this is not a hoax. And that the case count isn't going to zero anytime soon. Uh, it just makes, yeah, well... You know, I'm sure not only do you and I agree, I think, you know, probably 99 percent of the Republicans in the Congress agree with that. 
uh, it's just stupid. So, so John, dangerous. Tell me, how's John Barry? How are you dealing with this? What, what, how have you changed your habits or your lifestyle since this today, as opposed to where you were in January? Well, I am aware of hand washing, and as I said, you have to do it for at least twenty seconds. Scrub like a surgeon, and do it every time properly. That's one. Now, hand transmission of respiratory diseases is generally about, you know, roughly 20% of respiratory diseases are transmitted hand to uh, mouth or eyes or nose, you know, when you, when you go to your face. So that's not everything, even if you're completely successful. Uh, I can tell you that public restrooms are probably the most dangerous places uh, this is also a uh, not just a respiratory virus, but it does in, infect the uh, gastrointestinal system. Uh, it's even been found in, in urine. I mean, people would laugh when you say this, but it's quite possible flatulence could expel virus. Uh, public restroom, dangerous places, avoid them unless absolutely necessary. And if you're in one, absolutely be, you know, washed. I mean, really scrub those hands. And then when you open the door, you know, put, you know, a couple of pieces of uh, layers of, of paper towels. Uh, of course, the automatic faucets in many public restrooms in modern buildings, you can't get any water out of them. Try, try try getting a flow of water for 20 seconds under them. Uh, you know, so, it, and of course, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to NBA games. Not that I go very often anyway. Uh, you know, avoiding, you know, the, the, the obvious stuff. Um, it's not really in the community here yet, so I'm going out to dinner tonight. Uh I'm sure I'll be going to a restaurant next week uh, until there's general community spread. You know, timing does matter. Would you go to a movie theater, John? No, I wouldn't go to a movie theater. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I had, last night I had a epidemiologist uh, Skype into my class at LSU, and he made, and he was the TV czar for city of Philadelphia, so you know, pulmonologist is, you know, it said the same thing he did. He said, there's a Chinese, been, in, a lot of times public restrooms or it was a Chinese restaurant, people would be sick and it'd go cough in, in the in the public restaurant. And, you know, and th that is a piece of advice that y'all both wholeheartedly agree on. And to all of our listeners, you know, if you gotta go, you gotta go, but the man, clean yourself like you never cleaned yourself before when you do. That, that'd be my counsel based on, on you and Bruce Davidson. So, John, before we go, that uh, of course, uh, in addition to the great influenza, John wrote a book that I assigned to every class I've had called Rising Tide, which is a story about the 1927 floods, but about so much more. But I want to take a little time for a little levity here. You have a background in football. Why don't you share with our with Mr. Hunt and our listeners uh, your, your career in football? Well, I sat on the bench at Brown, okay. <laughs> and, and uh, I, I, since we were I, a poor team, and I sat on the bench, and I love football. I wanted to get it out of my side. I didn't want to leave the game that way, so I coached for a few years, and I, uh, 
I did end up coaching at uh, Tulane when Tulane still played a well, they have a pretty decent schedule now, but back then we played uh, six ACC teams and three SEC teams. We were uh, ranked number 11. We beat uh, number five ranked LSU team, 14 nothing before what was then the largest crowd ever to watch a football game in the South. And every time I see James, well, I don't have to <laughs> remind him about that. He he remembers. I, I was uh, on the sideline for that. Day. I still think that's the most important thing I've ever done, Steve, <laughs> part of that staff. Hey, hey, John, didn't Bill Belichick go to Brown? No, he went to uh, Wesleyan. Wesleyan, that's right. Well, I confuse all those elitist schools uh, up there. With yeah. the I, I did a profile of a guy. You you may have known. I don't know if you ever knew Kirk O'Donnell when you were working on your oh, Jim Wright book. and I were teammates, classmates. I loved Kirk. He was a very uh, good friend. He, he was a great – I did a profile of Kirk O'Donnell once, and I referred to him as a Brown football star, which, of course, is an oxymoron. Uh, and I think that's probably true. <laughs> Well, Brian, Kirk played more than I did, but I'm not sure that he, uh, to tell the truth, I don't think he started, but I might be mistaken on that. Uh, but he was better than I was. <laughs> well, he was he was one of my favorite people of all times. A great uh, everybody. We, we loved everyone loved Kirk, and uh, it was a great loss. Uh, you have been one of our favorite guests of all times, John. Yeah. I mean, I one of my favorite. I'll tell you, one of my favorite. But the, 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 gutsiest guy that I've ever known in my life. Okay, well, thank you very much. And next time I see you in Starbucks in Washington, I'll, I'll introduce myself. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, do that. But we knew I saw you years ago when you were working on that right book. But also, as I say, I'm, I'm not great in the morning. So when I'm wearing that dirty pen sweatshirt, please uh, just, just hit me. But thank you very much. And I hope all of our listeners, James, you, 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 you put it perfectly. They'll listen to the advice uh, that John gave. Wash your hands carefully. If you can't avoid public uh, restrooms and, and as much as I love movies stay away from movies and ball games yeah i mean I, I i think we've gotten you know some really good practical doable advice and all you can right. do is reduce your risk right. reduce your risk right. you know um i'm glad to say that he, he thinks it's okay to go out in new orleans because i'm going to lunch today but i think i'm gonna <laughs> pack it up and go go to mississippi and well maybe in a few weeks i won't but uh right you know, I understand. Uh, again timing is everything right now there are six cases in the state you know, there are probably more than that, but it, it's not like there are hundreds or thousands. So, you know, you, I intend to live my life, but I'm not going to do anything stupid, you know. Well, uh, despite the bad, you know, let's. Just, this is just, uh, this is a very scary time. But, John, you have enlightened us. Thank you again. Uh, and as this progresses, I hope, if possible, you'll come on again. Sure. Okay, good to talk to you. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. This, this, this means a lot. It really does. This is a big, big moment for our show. Thank you. Okay, James Carville. Uh, you know, we did okay for two old guys today. Yeah, some people don't disappoint. Right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know? Uh, I could have listened to him for another half hour, another hour. Yeah, his, his, I mean, his knowledge of this stuff is just encyclopedia. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, as is yours of American politics, which we will still have a lot to talk about next week. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for listening to 2020 Politics War Room. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Be charitable again. The podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. For James Carville, I'm Al Hunt. 
We'll talk to you next week. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.